Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. You see, outside of Christ and outside of His Word, outside of the work of God and the Holy Spirit within an individual, the standards of morality are, man, they're all over the map. There's no standard. And when the church refuses to set a standard, and beloved, we have messed our culture up tremendously. And you know what? We are seeing the results of that right now. We're living in the results of that right now. Because for too many decades, the church has clouded the standards of morality. And the world has just gone whatever way that it wants. Pastor David believes that the church's purpose is to be God's vessel on this earth, which makes believers an example of his love to this world. The Corinthian church struggled to model God's plan though. And there were behaviors that were unacceptable in their church. This was a tragedy because sin is always destructive to each person and the body of Christ. And God has called the church to be a demonstration of His power, changing their lives for the better. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Time of Reconciliation. We're in 2 Corinthians. We are in uh, chapter 2. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn there with me if you would. One of the things we see, and and one of the things I I really enjoy as we've been studying both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it really is kind of a dialogue. Now, we don't get quite the other side of the dialogue. It's kind of like listening to somebody on the telephone. You know, you get one side of the conversation, so you kind of fill in the blanks on the other side of the conversation. But this is really and truly, it's it's a dialogue of the Apostle Paul with the church there in Corinth. And he deals with, uh, with a tremendous amount of things in both of these letters. It has, a, it has a very personal feel to it, a lot like his letter to uh, Philemon. Now, as I've shared in the past, both of these books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they're not filled with a lot of deep theology. There's not a whole lot of heavy foundational doctrine that we're looking at in either one of these books, although there's a lot of assumptions of depth of doctrine and truth of theology in what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church there in Corinth. So it's not that he's doing away with doctrine and theology, it's just that's not his main issue. He's, he's taking doctrine and theology and kind of putting them in a very 
practical, practical sense of, okay, this is how you walk in this truth. This is what you need to be doing about this truth that you already know. And, and so it becomes a very practical book for us as we've read through and studied through 1 Corinthians and now on into 2 Corinthians. Now we're in that second chapter. Again, very practical letters dealing with issues of order, dealing with issues of, of practice for the local church. He brings correction. He brings instruction. All of that offered by the Apostle Paul, yeah, to a church 2,000 years ago. But you know what? It's, it's just as applicable for us today in nearly every area as we look at these two books. And again, though it's very pointed to the issues, letters that had been written that uh, I've shared with you, we've, we've lost, but we know just simply from Paul's comments that they had written or comments from the couriers that had brought the letters back and forth from Corinth to where Paul is. Very particular issues to the church at Corinth, and yet there is a still that abundance of truth, that practice that we need to gain here in the church of the 21st century here in America and in every part of the world. That's the great thing about the Word of God. When the Word of God is rightly divided, it doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter your economy. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what country, what freedoms you have from the, the, the politics of the land or what oppression may be there. The fact is that the Word of God remains true in every culture. Now, we can hear preachings on the Word of God or at least springboarding from the Word of God that suddenly you think, you know, that, that's just not going to work in a, when, in a developing nation, or, or that's just not going to work in this other culture. That may sound really good right now where we're at right now, but, you know, in the real deal across cultures, across times, across ethnicities, across situations of freedoms, that's not always going to work out. The great thing about the Word of God, when it's rightly divided, it will work out in every area. Now, by and large, human nature hasn't really changed very dramatically since the time of creation. I don't know how long it was from the time that Adam and Eve were created until Eve started listening to the serpent and she took a bite of that forbidden fruit. You know, sometimes I think, you know, in my, in my own life, it was probably later that afternoon, you know. Uh, now, it, it, it might have been quite a while. We, we don't know for sure. They They fell and then Adam fell and then they had kids, and we had Cain's situation, and then pretty soon we find within a couple of generations or a few generations, we have the whole situation with Noah, and nobody was righteous except Noah. And so human nature really hasn't changed all of that time, and definitely hasn't changed, I don't believe, in, in 2,000 years. A different culture, yes, but human nature remains the same. We still have issues of sin that impact our lives, even as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, yeah that's true. Boy, that's true. Oh, man. He's been reading my mail today. Okay. In the midst of that and that reality, the church itself, because guess what? The church is made up of people like you and, and me. And so the church, even with all of that, the church still has problems, just like the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago. And you would think after 2,000 years we'd start getting something right, but that just proves the adage or disproves the adage, however you want to put it. But the reality is, is 
Practice does not make perfect, okay? Especially in regards to the church and the way that we live. So look with me, if you would, as we continue in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to be beginning, actually, in the teaching, more or less, uh, in chapter 5. And I say that because we need to back up a little bit. And those of you that have been with us for very long know that there's many times that I back up, and the backing up sometimes takes more time than the going forward part. But uh, I do want us to back up to to verse 1 of chapter 2, to get kind of a, a running start, to get kind of the full swing of what's going on in this portion of the passage. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, if you would. Paul writes, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who, who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Now, Rather, Paul was writing in the midst of this, you know, this, this writing that he gave to them and the harshness of it and making them sorrowful. Rather, he's referring to 1 Corinthians or that letter that was lost between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Remember, we've spoken about that. We won't go into that much more this, this evening. But Paul had written to the Corinthian church in, in a very harsh way, in a very direct way, uh, calling them really to examine the choices that they were making and the consequences of those choices and the fact that, you know what, you need to change. As a church, you need to change. You need to take care of this situation. Paul wasn't simply suggesting these things. No, as an apostle, he was saying, no, you need to take care of this situation. And I'm sure that for some, it came across pretty harsh. If he were referring to 1 Corinthians, which personally I think that's what he's referring to, I think that other lost letter might have had some other issues. But when we look at what he wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians, I think that's very much where some of these areas of correction that needed to take place. I mean, when we think about 1 Corinthians, there was that whole idea of cliques within the church. You remember when we went over 1 Corinthians, oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm I'm of Paul and I'm of Christ, and they were all divided up into little cliques within the church, and in the midst of those cliques, there seemed to be this continual division, this continual pride and arrogance, depending upon which clique you are a part of, my clique's better than your clique, kind of a thing that's going on at the church at that point in time. Because of that, there was a lot of disorder, there was a lot of arguing among the brothers, and Paul had to deal with that. We see that there was immorality that was being practiced by the believers, uh, in particular one believer that he had to deal with, and it was being allowed within the church. Not only allowed, but they were even being puffed up, and we're going to look at that in a little bit this, this evening. 
uh, we, we find in 1 Corinthians they were taking each other to secular court and instead of dealing with each other as brothers and sisters and saying, hey, you know what, you and I aren't getting along, so let's get this brother over here to come and kind of work as the arbitrator for us and get this together. We don't need to bring this out into the world. We need to go ahead and take care of it, in essence, in-house. There was confusion about the use of spiritual gifts. That their, their whole practice of corporate worship was like almost, you know, craziness. Paul says, man, people who are going to come into your church service, they're going to think you're nuts the way that you guys are acting. And so he gives them pretty clear instruction in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. There's this whole idea of him giving to them the understanding of the purity and the truth. This is the gospel. This is what I declared to you as the gospel truth. And he had to give it to him again. That's in chapter 15. And then we also speak about where, again, he's, he's almost um, arguing for or defending the truth of the resurrection because somehow, some way, in this church of born-again believers, there seemed to be this doubt that the resurrection even took place or that there even is a resurrection. How can we, how can we really claim that we're believers in Christ and that we have eternity ahead of us if we don't believe in the resurrection? And Paul tells him, man, if, if we don't believe in the resurrection, if, if Christ isn't raised, then you know what? We are most pitiable among all men. All of these things. Now, none of these things really did he seem to be really severe or really harsh as far as he came to him, except in that determination that Paul had made in the case of that one that was living in sexual immorality with his father's wife, apparently sleeping with his stepmom. That's, you know, to put it that way. That's what was going on there in 1 Corinthians. And Paul makes it really clear. As a matter of fact, Take your Bibles. You can keep your place there in 2 Corinthians, but turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the reason we're going back here is because of the impact of that actually in what we're going to cover in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read where, where Paul, man, he just kind of hits the issue just right, right, right on and says, look, we, we need to take care of this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1, He says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality isn't even mentioned among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up about it. And you've not rather mourned that he who's done this deed might be taken away from among you. Today, the culture we're in today, and that word inclusive seems to be so overriding and everything. And if we are truly loving, then we ought to be inclusive. And the unfortunate thing is the world takes that idea of inclusive and puts with it, you need to accept anything and everything from anybody at any time. And beloved, that's just not, that's number one, it's definitely not biblical. Number two, it just makes no logical sense at all. We're told by our society that to be tolerant and to be loving, we need to be accepting of any and every behavior. But beloved, sin is still sin. And we can't say, well, you know what? We're just going to overlook that sin because we love you and we care about you. For the church to be accepting of an individual or a couple that continue to live their lives in open or in blatant sin, 
simply because the church doesn't want to act unloving is itself probably the most unloving thing we can do. Instead of saying, no, that's sin. You need to change your life. And in particular, for the church in there in Corinth, from what we understand about this individual, he was one who was a professing believer. And so to say, I know, you as a professing believer in, in Jesus Christ, you can live any way that you want to. Well, beloved, that's dragging the blood of Christ through the, through the dirt. Now, it's one thing for a non-believer to come and we accept non-believers. And I've often said to people, you don't expect goats to act like sheep. If they're not born again, they're, they're not going to act born again. So we need to understand that and, and not try to change them on the outside without realizing, no, it's the inside that needs to change. That's what needs to change and, and take place. Without the church standing for truth, we cloud the, the very lines of morality with immorality. We blend the truth of God's word with the mores of our, of our current society, what is truth and, and what is right, suddenly because the church doesn't take a stand, because the church doesn't hold to the foundation that we have with the Word of God, there's no standard there. You can, you can talk to people who are non-believers, who don't believe in the Bible, who may not even believe in God, and ask them, are, are you a moral person? And many times I'll say, well, yes, I am a moral person. So what's your standard? What's your standard of morality? Well, you know, I, I feel that we have within ourselves you know, a standard. Yeah, I think God does put that in each one. But where do you personally get your standard? You see, outside of Christ and outside of his word, outside of the work of God and the Holy Spirit within an individual, the standards of morality are, man, they're all over the map. There's no standard. And when the church refuses to set a standard, and beloved, we have messed our culture up tremendously. And you know what? We are seeing the results of that right now. We're living in the results of that right now. Because for too many decades, the church has clouded the standards of morality. And the world has just gone whatever way that it wants and when suddenly we get outraged because of something and we stand up and try to make a stand, the world looks at us and says, whoa, who are you and where did you come from? Where have you been for all of these years? Because the church, by and large, has just wafted with the culture, gone the way that society has pushed us. Why? Because we didn't want to cause waves. Because we didn't want to stand out among the crowd. When in reality, we're called to be a peculiar people and to take those kinds of stands. Without the church taking that stand and a God-breathed basis for morality within our lives, where does the line of acceptability get drawn? We really don't have one. And see, the church in Corinth had kind of refused. They thought, well, you know, we're all-inclusive. We're, we're, we're tolerant of this brother and this situation. It's interesting when we look at that, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's interesting on that, and even when we looked at it and when we studied 1 Corinthians, I thought, well, nothing is said about the woman at all. To me, you know, I, I kind of bring it into the fact that very possibly she wasn't even a believer. 
because there was no accountability for that woman to be made by the church. But for that man, there was an accountability that he should be answering to. So, man, this, this guy's messed up totally in all that's going on. Paul had told the church that instead of being proud of the fact that they're accepting of a, of a different and a definite non-biblical lifestyle, they ought to be mourning. They ought to be in mourning because of that situation. Mourning because of the condition of, of the church that has allowed that to be there, but also mourning because of the condition of that man's heart who is a believer and he thinks it's okay to live that way. Wow, where have we gone wrong? Where have we as a church gone wrong, that we've allowed standards of morality to just be shifted away. Paul felt they needed to take a hard stand. Some, some I believe, they, they, they felt it was a harsh stand. That, that, that's too hard, Paul. It was so hard that they weren't even willing to make the call, so Paul had to make the call for them. Um, and we see still in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul goes ahead and he, he states the case. He says, hey, for I indeed, even though I'm absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present. I've already judged him who has done this deed. And so then in verse 4 he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, because I'm going to be with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I don't care what way you slice it. That's a powerful declaration in a whole lot of different ways. Paul takes the issue very seriously, and he takes also even the judgment upon that individual very seriously. He tells him, first of all, when you gather together, when you come together as the church, that's something that, again, that needed to be done as a church as a whole. The church as a whole had accepted that lifestyle. The church as, as, as a whole had, had been all puffed up about, hey, yeah, this brother's over here, he's living this way, but that's okay, we love him in Jesus, and it's okay. So Paul says, no, when you guys come together as the church, it needs to be taken care of. It needed to be seen and recognized by the whole body of believers, I believe, as a wake-up call to holiness. Let's put the real deal out here for a moment, just because it's you and me and nobody else, but if suddenly... We brought up somebody's name within the fellowship and said, hey, this brother over here, he's doing this and doing this and doing this, and he claims to be a Christian, and we need to disassociate ourselves from this brother. You don't think that would get some attention of everybody? Whoa, I guess I better clean my act up. I don't want my name mentioned up there. And I I think that's what he's saying. Hey, when you gather together. He says, not only when you gather together, but he says, along with my spirit. Now, that's not some new agey kind of thing. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be with you. No, that, that's what Paul is saying, man. I am in full, absolute, and total agreement with what needs to be done. So when you do this, understand, man, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Paul wanted to assure them that although he was absent from the flesh, he was very, very much there in the spirit. He knew it was going to be a difficult call to make, but he knew it had to be done. And, he, and that's why he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to do this right, 
They weren't going to be able to do it on their own power, not, not even on their own authority. Well, you know, we as a church, we, you know, our church polity or our church policy says that you ought not be doing it. No, it has, really it has nothing to do with church polity. It has everything to do with the morality that God has set forth from the Old Testament on. Rather, they had the letters of Paul or, the, or even the teachings of Christ at that point in time. Man, God had set these things in motion long, long ago. And same for us. God's Word doesn't change. It, it doesn't float with, with, again, the culture. It remains true. Thank you for listening to today's message from The Open Word. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 2 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us next time on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound Bible-based teachings with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on About for more information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a blessed day.